and thy patience, and thy works, the last to be more than the first. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put upon you no other burden. But that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. This is the fourth of seven letters that Jesus dictated to the Apostle John, who no doubt had relationship with these churches. Letters written to their leaders where the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrected, the same Jesus, brought words of commendation and correction to these congregations. This church in Thyatira receives a very strong word, and I hope when you leave here today you'll be a little more understanding of what was happening there. Thyatira really no longer exists as it once did. It has a Turkish name. It's it um, The old city is pretty well destroyed. You can go there and see it. Here's a picture of it. Uh, let's look back at the text and just walk through each verse quickly. To the angel or the messenger or the one who speaks for the Lord of the church in Thyatira, write. Thyatira was a town known for uh, fabrics, for weaving, for tailors, and for dyes, especially purple dye. Uh, Lydia, who was Paul's first European convert, uh, was in Philippi, but she actually was from Thyatira, and she was known as the seller of purple. These things says the Son of God. This is the first time Jesus describes himself as the Son of God in these seven letters, meaning he means business. He's speaking with authority here. Who has eyes like a flame of fire. His gaze is intense. He, he sees through everything. And his feet like fine brass. That is always a description in the scriptures of judgment. This some would say, or some could say, that this is a function of the judgment seat of Christ, where he is bringing correction to his people. And then he gives them six compliments. I know your works, those good deeds that you do, your love, which is agape, that self-sacrificial love for God and for one another, your service, which is the word from which we get the word deacon. Christ used the word diakonos there, diakonia, uh, which means ministry. So they're working, they're loving, and they're ministering. Your faith, 
Faith speaks of trust in God as well as as, uh, being true. It speaks of fidelity to the Lord. And your patience speaks of perseverance and endurance in the face of hard times. And as for your works, he refers back to the first thing, the last are more than the first. In other words, our most recent acts of kindness, the most recent works were more than they had done previously and even better. So the Lord's commending them. Nevertheless, that's a big word, I have a few things against you. And we're going to see they allowed evil people in their midst to influence people through their so-called ministry to commit evil. I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things strangled, eat things sacrificed to idols. Now Jezebel was a character in the Old Testament. We don't know if this woman was actually named that, but she certainly was a representation of that kind of woman. Uh, Jezebel was a pagan princess who uh, the king Ahab of the northern kingdom of Israel married her. And she exerted her influence to bring in idolatry and all sorts of other things that were displeasing to God for his people. She led thousands astray and was at odds with the prophet Elijah. Uh, A very interesting story of her life and how it came to end. And so here in this church was a woman who called herself a prophetess who... Uh, tried to teach and seduce God's people to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, this seems strange, like, like, wow, this is really weird. We wouldn't allow that in our church. But we see that happening in our nation, do we not? The pro-homosexual churches are out there teaching people that sexual sin is okay. Uh, to embrace it as an idolatry, as an, as an identity, which is really tragic. To stop calling sin, sin, and make it an identity uh, brings into question the Word of God, as well as it causes the person to embrace their sin as their identity, and then they'll never repent. keeps people in bondage. It's the cruelest thing possible. And what blows my mind is how they're hijacking everything Martin Luther King worked to do to further their cause. It's insane. Anyway, go on. That's not the sermon today. (laughs) This was a woman in a church bringing problems. I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. So the Lord is merciful. He's given her time to repent. She hasn't, so now he's bringing a word of correction and a word of prophecy. Verse 22. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. So those who have sinned with her, those who've been misled by her, still have a chance to repent. If they don't, they're going to get great tribulation. The Greek word for for great is the word megas, which isn't my favorite Mexican breakfast. Who likes megas? Awesome. Man. Mm. (laughs) But it's mega. Mega problems God's going to allow to happen in their life. But her, she's going to a sickbed. Now, um, I have to be honest with you here. The Greek word doesn't mean doesn't say sickbed. It just means bed. It could be a sickbed. It could be any, be any other kind of bed. But I, So what I think the Lord is saying here, he is going to put a stop to her influence, 
She will no longer be mobile for what he's going to do. If you want examples of the strong hand of God in judging people, read the book of Acts. Some people lost their lives. Other people lost their mind, their, their um, eyesight. Uh, one king was eaten up with worms instantly. I mean, God's awesome. He's a God to be feared. Amen. So when he calls us to repent, we should pay attention. Verse 23, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And also, I will give to each one of you according to your works. Strong words. He's going to put a stop to those. I think her children will be represented by those who are, are her compadres, who are spreading her influence. Going to bring a stop to it. But to those who aren't participating, I draw comfort from the last phrase of sentence of verse 23. I will give to each one of you according to your works. If you're not participating in that, God, you know, blessing is coming. Verse 24, now to you I say and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, that is, those who are not embracing this teaching of this person, Jezebel, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. Behold, hold fast till I come. I believe the Lord is saying here that this woman's teaching was satanic. Uh, some people are uh, deceivers, and some deceptions are so clever that it's almost supernatural in origin. I think it is. Look at some of the cults, a lot of the cults. There's like a common progression. You know, eventually they become a compound. And eventually he becomes Jesus or some son of God or some, some highfalutin character. Before the story's over, before the whole thing blows to bits, he begins to have sex with other people's wives and children and everything. Remember David Koresh? Uh, Joseph Smith, same thing, just more sophisticated. He just introduced polygamy. Went back to the days of the Old Testament, which God permitted, but nobody that ever practiced it was blessed. Chaos was in their life. And all the territorial sisters said, amen. <laughs> just chaos. It's just uh, insane. And so um, Joseph Smith was clever in practicing polygamy. He was, a, he was the same spirit, the same Jezebel kind of thing going on. Verse 26, And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I give power over the nations. This is authority. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. The word here for rule means to shepherd or to pastor. The Lord is our shepherd. Amen. And uh, as he gives us power over the nations, he will rule over the nations. With We're looking forward to this day uh, when the fullness of the kingdom, the kingdom is here, I believe, but it's coming in greater fullness. And he will rule the nations with a rod or a staff of iron. Uh, the word for staff there, a rod, also means scepter. And they shall be dashed in pieces like the potter's vessel. All those nations that oppose him, he will deal with strongly. As I have received from my Father. So this authority that Jesus has, the Father gave him. And I will give him the morning star. To me, this means if we're faithful and we overcome, we get Jesus. He is the bright and morning star. It's all about him. If you don't get another thing from this talk today, get Jesus. He is the key. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
From this letter, we see a great church that was tolerating someone in their midst who was misleading others into sexual sin and other forms of things that were displeasing to God. The letter of Jesus is not about is about not tolerating those who lead others into sin. I want to draw our attention to this thought, though. That's not what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about ourselves. Is there anything in me that I'm allowing to mislead me? Is there anything I'm tolerating that I need to put a stop to? Am I allowing evil? Research has found that people would dish out their hard-earned money for an exterminator when certain pests are in their home, but not necessarily all pests. 20% of the public in America will pay an exterminator to kill spiders. Any spider haters in the house? 27% will pay an exterminator to annihilate ants. 56% will pay to get rid of rodents. 58% will pay to kill cockroaches. 87% will pay an exterminator to terminate termites. Except for termites, almost half of America's adults will live with some sort of pest rather than pay a professional to exterminate it. People are willing to endure certain things but not others. In the spiritual dimension, the same thing holds true. Many people are willing to live with spiritual pests, while others they will not tolerate. Some they will keep around. Are you allowing evil to reign anywhere in your life? Paul wrote in Romans 6, verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness. So it's about more, it's more about what we do than what we not do. You gotta see that. Don't let sin reign, that's a don't, and present your bodies of instruments Do not present your bodies of instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. We are worthy of hell, amen? We are worthy of death. We are worthy of the cross. But Jesus went there for us. And so through him, we live free of condemnation and judgment. So we present ourselves anew to him to enable us to live a life of obedience, which, of course, we need his help to do that. Romans 13, Paul wrote, Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Are we making provision? Are we making provision? You just say a brief word, to the singles, and then a prolonged word to the marrieds. A brief word to the singles in our midst. If you're with someone you're attracted to alone for extended periods of time, 
you're making provision for the flesh. You better be careful. Better be careful. Well, I just can't help myself. Well, you can help yourself by not being alone with that person. There's plenty of public places around. Well, we work second shift. Well, Whataburger's open. I'm just telling you the way to do it. You make provision for your flesh, you're going to fall. just is. So keys to victory. Uh, married people, being alone with someone you're attracted to is not good. Pastor Brady Brown, I got this from him, 10 steps to an affair. How does an affair happen? starts out very subtly. There's an awareness of another person, and this awareness becomes an attraction. A seemingly innocent meeting becomes flirtatious. When that happens, don't go to step three. Stop. Move on. Yeah, but my ego needs that. I have a weakness. I have low self-esteem. I have this. I have that. Well, I got bad breath when I wake up in the morning, but I brush my teeth. Do something about it. Meeting with that person, meeting with that person begins to be planned. One of the two begins to plan meetings. Suddenly, she just happens to be there. <laughs> or he just happens to arrive at the same time she does. He's planning or she's plotting. Lingering to talk after hours begins. It could be, it could be after church or after work. You're out on the parking lot and you just linger. Man, that is so dangerous. Conversations start being allowed to involve feelings. Well, how do you feel? There you go. Man, you're stirring up the devil and your flesh, of course. Isolated meetings start to be disguised as legitimate. You come up with reasons to, to uh, have these lingering times. Well, we're studying the Bible or we're having a prayer meeting or something like that. Isolated meetings begin to happen for fun. Well, we're just friends going to Six Flags. Well, what's about your spouse at home? Is she or he sliced Limburger or something? Of course, there's been embraces going on. They become more affectionate. They start becoming passionate. And passion conceives. So, let's not linger there. Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, Fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Other translations, it makes it even more sobering. A Jewish translation says, Among you there should not even be mentioned sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed. These are utterly inappropriate for God's people. The NIV is really hard-hitting. Usually the NIV is kind of watered down. Listen to what it says. But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. This is what we're talking about. Allowing hints of evil to have a place in our thought life, in our heart, in our life. This is about more than pleasing God and going to heaven. Sin, especially sexual sin, brings death in many ways before it becomes physical death. 
It kills relationships with people, destroys friendships, homes, kills intimacy, brings death to business, churches, ministries, and family. Sin separates us from God and one another, leaving us alone and isolated. Like an addiction to something that never fulfills itself, never keeps its promise to bring fulfillment, temptations lie to us and leave us empty. That's why we need to repent as soon as possible. Get forgiveness and God brings restoration. Amen. We're about to watch a video of a guy who has played with the sin of lust. Lusting for enjoying the hunt of attractive women. uh, Enjoying the hunt of the ideal relationship. And as a result of years of this practice, he's alone and isolated. And uh, the video kind of leaves you hanging but it gives you the picture of what sin does.
alone, 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 isolated by yourself. Overcoming sin is about not being alone. It's not good that man should be alone. That's about more than marriage. I know in the original context it was when God made Adam a wife. But it's not good. Proverbs 18.1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and rages against all wise judgment. I have good news today. Look at what the Word of God says. Well, before we go there, we will look at the next title. We're changing the title to the sermon. Are you allowing evil's kind of negative note to, to hang on? Are you overcoming evil? 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has taken you, except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. So there's no temptation that is so unusual that only you experience it. Others have walked through it. Christ has. We can go to him with our needs because he's been tempted in all points like as we are. But with every temptation is a way of escape. Run. Leave your coat behind like Joseph if you have to. But run. Run. What do you do, though, if you're in the clutches of temptation or sin or addiction? What do you do? You didn't take the way of escape. Well, there's still a way of escape through the promises of God. 1 John 1, 9, such good news. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One thing that will keep you bound to sin is being condemned, having no hope, and so that guilt makes you medicate or weakens you to the point you yield to sin because sin looks like it would medicate and give you some relief from your pain. But all it does is compound itself and bring on more guilt. If we confess our sins, that is truly be honest and confess our sins, look at the promise. If we truly confess the sin, He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Many times um, in my life I've noticed if there's a certain sin that just keeps happening over and over again, I have not truly confessed the, the real issue. Maybe it's anger. I'm blowing, it, I'm blowing it and I'm being mean to my kids and, and uh, um, hard to get along with, with my wife. So I go and I repent of anger. Lord, please forgive me my anger. And by faith, I receive that forgiveness. And the next day, I got the same thing going on. Well, there's obviously a sin below the anger that's causing it. Could be a lack of trust. Could be fear. Could be unforgiveness. Could be just plain old rebellion against God and I'm wrestling against conviction and trying to cover it up with with making everything else in my life in order. And so when I confess the actual sin that's causing all the other sins, freedom comes and I taste His righteousness. Isn't that good? Here's another promise. James 5.16, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. Oh my goodness. Something must have happened up there. Okay. Plugged it into a power strip that was not turned on. 
battery went dead. This is good. I'm at the end. Confess your trespasses. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. If we confess our trespasses to one another, we are promised to be healed. And we are promised that our prayers will be effective. Most Christians in America will embrace 1 John 1, 9, but they will not obey James 5, 16. Doug Weiss says a lot of Americans are forgiven, but sick. Meaning still in bondage to sin. Because they, want, they don't want to take that next step and apply that next promise in their life of confessing their trespasses to another human being. And receiving ministry from that person. I tell you, there's such freedom when we do that. Thank you so much, man. You guys are awesome. See if you can find the James one too. By all means, apply this verse in your life. But also apply James 5.16. Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. I want to be forgiven and Healed of the effects of my sin. Amen. Amen. And we are promised at the end of our text that if we overcome, he'll give us authority in the nations. Amen. Authority in the nations. So I want to encourage you, if you're struggling in a certain area of sin and you've been praying and applying 1 John 1, 9 and you're not getting a breakthrough, Go to another brother or sister, someone you trust. Maybe one or two would be good. And share what's happening in your life. And God will use that setting and that, that position of obedience to bring freedom that you've not been seeing. Sometimes in the context of this, insight comes to the parties involved of the root sin that's causing the other sin. Could be just a whole lot of other things, but that's another sermon. Amen. We are called to overcome. Amen? Amen. Amen. Can we stand? I want to lead you in a confession of faith. Say this together. I am a child of God. Sin does not have dominion over me. Favorite sins are under my feet. The pleasures of sin last only a season. And then death comes in many forms. I have not been called to death. I have been called to life. To rule and reign in life. Over sin. And one day... He will bless me to rule over the nations. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand? Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. This would seem like a good time to have an altar call, but when a sermon like this happens, nobody comes to the front. This stuff is secret. It's time to get it out in the light, saints. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you 
and give you his peace. And if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, may you know that you know that you know that he is the son of God and that he gave his life for you and died on the cross for your sins and ours and that he has risen from the dead. And if you'll put your faith in him for the forgiveness of your sins, you'll be freed from those things that are bringing death to your life. In Jesus' name, God bless you. You're dismissed.